I pray for God's blessing on our time of looking into his word today and ask that his spirit that we have been celebrating and welcoming through song and praise and even blessing uh, continue to speak his word to us this morning. As we lean into our time of the message, I want to start by asking you a question today. What do you want? It sounds like such a simple question, doesn't it? And yet, if you really start to think through all the layers of what it is that you may actually be wanting today in life, in this moment, it can start to get pretty complex pretty quickly. We are creatures of desire. We hunger, we thirst, we uh, seek love, we want relationship, we crave success, we desire approval from others, we want to be liked, we want to be welcomed, we want to belong, we want to have nice things, we want to live in a free society, we want so many things in our culture that if you start to say, what do you want today? It can be a hard question to answer. I have another question about what you might want. How much time have you given recently to think below all those layers of want and desire to the true core desire of what you most deeply want in your life? Do you even know what your deepest longings and your greatest needs are that you are hoping for or wishing for or maybe even have come to the point in your life where you're wondering if you will ever even be able to have the things that you most deeply desire? See, this question isn't a question that's new to us. It was a question that Jesus asked his first disciples too. You may remember the story from John chapter 1 in verse 35 where it says, The next day, which is the day after John the Baptist baptized Jesus in the Jordan River, and the Spirit of God descended like a dove. And the voice from heaven came and said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Is that after that day, right? It says, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? What do you want is a question that Jesus asks of every one of his disciples. In the story, the disciples don't really know what they wanted, only that they were searching for something. When Jesus asked them, what do you want? They didn't know how to answer. And if you recall the words of Psalm 37, 4, the psalmist tells us, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, this verse could be read in two different ways, right? We can read it and say, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the things that your heart desires. He will give you whatever it is that you want. But I'd also like to suggest that there's another way that we can understand this passage. And it could say, take delight in the Lord and he will give you desires to be in your heart. He will place in you a passion for those things that he most wants to bring to fulfillment in your life. 
Rather than assuming that God will just give you whatever it is that you want, we can come to understand, and I think we're going to understand even more as we look to the teaching of Jesus, that God creates desires in our hearts that actually lead us forward and motivate us to begin to pursue the good things that God has for us in our lives. God places within us passions that begin to motivate us to seek out their fulfillment. And what we discover, and if you are a part of our Know Your Why series, we talked about this several months ago, is that I will discover my deepest passion, my deepest reason for being, and my greatest desire at the intersection of my wants and God's will for my life. Because God created us the way we are. God created us as beings who have desires, who have needs, who will seek after the fulfillment of those things in our life that God has designed for us to experience. The challenge is that we also live in a world that would want to take us away from God's best for our life and lead us astray by all of the other things that our heart might choose to desire other than God's best for our lives. Helen Shapiro, in her book, Christ-Shaped Character, that we are reading as a companion book in our series, says there exists in the Christian community the misperception that what we want will surely be at odds with God's will. But what if that is not true? At best, it may be an excuse. At worst, an outright lie. That keeps us from articulating our hopes and our dreams, our longings and our desires, even our dissatisfaction with the life that we have. After all, God created us with all of those gifts and abilities, those longings and desires. It is surprising, she says, how often the question Jesus asks of his followers is, what do you want? Now, we're in week four of our series called The Way of Jesus which is a study in the parables of Jesus. And today we're looking at the way of desire as we look through the lens of the parable of the sower and the seed. In the agrarian society of Jesus' day, the images of seed and soil, of crops and harvest would have been readily available in people's imaginations. Right? And stories like parables are effective teaching tools because they help connect ideas to people's imaginations and their lived experience of life. And most people at that time would have had at least some kind of experience, either directly or indirectly, with planting and growing and harvesting crops. They already know how harvesting works. And so the parable becomes a bridge... For something that they, from something that they already understood to something that Jesus is wanting them to come to understand. And so as Jesus traveled around preaching and ministering with his disciples, as was very common, large crowds would gather to, to see him and to hear him speak. Some people would even climb trees just to be able to get a glimpse of him. <laughs> and the story is told in the Gospel of Luke chapter 8 that we pick up in verse 4 where it says, While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer or a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. 
Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up, and it grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on the good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he had said all this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that, and here he's quoting the Old Testament from Isaiah 6, verse 9, through seeing they may not see, through hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble or an honest and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Now, you may wonder what the way of desire has to do with the way of Jesus. It's just on the surface of it, the two don't sound like they should really go together, do they? And you also may wonder what desire has to do with the parable of the sower and the seed. But that's what I want to spend some time working through together today as we explore this parable. In the parable itself, Jesus describes four different types of soil upon which the sower's seed landed and how the level of receptivity of each type of soil to the seed that was sown directly impacts whether or not that soil was able to produce a crop from that seed. Then in his private explanation with his disciples, Jesus reveals the meaning that in the story, the seed is the word of God. And the four different types of soil are the hearts of different people. And so the hard past soil, Jesus says, are the, the hearts of those who hear but, but don't believe. In fact, he says, because their hearts are so completely closed off to God, the devil can easily come and quickly remove the, the, the God's word from their hearts so that they don't even really have a chance to consider believing and being saved. It's just not even an option that crosses their mind. But then he goes on to explain further that simply believing God's word also isn't quite enough, is it? Right? The rocky soil, he says, are the hearts of those who hear, and he says, even receive the word of God with joy. But they have no root, they have no depth. And in times of testing, when, when life gets difficult, and perhaps when society begins to, to criticize, and we become a little bit ashamed of the gospel of Jesus, our faith begins to wither and shrivel, and then we fall away from the Lord. Or the third type of soil, he says, is the thorny soil. Those are the, uh, the hearts who hear and receive the word of God, but their faith is choked by life's worries and the desires of wealth and pleasure and the things of the world. And because of these things, they, they never really mature in their faith or experience the fullness of why the word of God was given in the first place. Well, the last kind of soil, he says, this good soil 
are the hearts of those who hear and receive God's word and through patience and perseverance, allow that word to take root in their heart so that it grows and develops and through implementing the truth of God's word are able to produce a harvest for God's kingdom. Now, to some extent, I, I'd like to suggest that I think, as I, as I read this parable, it's pretty likely that we can probably all identify with each of these types of soils, maybe from different seasons in our life, right? I mean, I know for me, there have been times when my heart was hardened against God, particularly I think back to my last couple years of high school and early college. You know, I had accepted Jesus as a, as a little kid, growing up as a pastor's kid in church. It was kind of what we did, right? And I, and I had a faith in Jesus as a kid, but as I got older, I started to wander away and I started to, to look for things in the world to find my meaning and my satisfaction, and I, I turned my heart against God. I was more interested in the things of the world and my faith became shallow and started to be choked out by the things that I was choosing for my life that, that weren't God's best. But I can also say there's been times in my adult life, even as a pastor, where the worries and the concerns of life, whether it be finances or ministry and church or uh, marriage and family and relationships and, and, and just the weight of life crowds in and overshadows the truth of God's word in my own heart, leading me to challenging places in my own faith where I've felt dry and withered and like my faith is being choked out. Have any of you ever felt that way? And I also think that in this third type of soil in particularly, for us maybe who have grown up in the church and we've been Christians for much of our lives, I think there's always this temptation to pursue a kind of cultural Christianity where we want to claim the truths about God's word and we receive them as joy, but, but we don't really want to be challenged to live any differently than the rest of the society around us. We don't really want to be challenged to have to sacrifice our own desires or comfort for a greater good. We don't want to have to be challenged to, to, to negate our own preferences or to negotiate our own politics with people who don't agree with us for the greater calling of God in our lives. We're more than happy to claim Christianity as a label that we can wear on our sleeves, but when push comes to shove and the Word of God really challenges us to live out our faith in real practical ways that, that demonstrate the truth of God's Word, we start to balk and we, we, we say, well, maybe, maybe that's not really what I want to pursue in my life. Now, I think it's also important to acknowledge as we look at this parable that the good soil does not represent those who, through their own strength and effort, prove themselves to be better or more spiritual than everyone else around them. The good soil does not represent those who are perfect and who never make mistakes and so earn God's love and favor because of how good they are. Really, the good soil, according to Jesus, and what he says here, represents those people who allow the word of God to take root in their heart, to drop their defenses, to open themselves to the possibility that God may have something that he wants to do in them, that he has a word that he wants to speak to them, and they have the willingness to respond in courage, to, to, to obey the word that they've received. 
to respond to God's word in a, in a way that puts them on a new path and gives them a new experience of life so that the, they're living out the word that God has given them in ways that demonstrate its truth and its validity in the world. Jesus says it takes honesty and intentionality and commitment on our part, but it's really the living word of God in us that does the work to transform us from the inside out. In the parable of the sower, Jesus makes a direct link between the level of receptivity in the human heart and the experience of bearing fruit for God's kingdom. Simply receiving the word, even with joy, is not enough. The intent is for the message of the kingdom to take root and to go deep so that it can grow and produce fruit. And it tells us that the word of God takes us beyond mere belief and engages the whole person in all of life. And so the parable of the sower is a reminder that the good news message of Jesus is intended to lead us in the way of Jesus so that we can experience the life of Jesus in us. And so in Jesus, we learn that the word of God creates new desires in our hearts, not necessarily desires that come from our own humanity, but the desires that come from the divine life of God at work within us. They can be God's desires that he forms in us that lead us to the fulfillment of the life that he has for us. We can experience through God's word new passions, new motivations, new insights that give us a whole new direction to pursue as we seek their fulfillment in our lives. And so we can begin to discover that walking in the way of Jesus is the way of discovering and fulfilling the deepest desires of our hearts that God shaped us to have when he created us the way he did. The way of Jesus can be the way of desire. Now, I'd like to suggest that there are three key things that we can take away from this parable today, the parable of the sower, as it teaches us about pursuing the way of Jesus in our lives. Takeaway number one is that God is a God who speaks, right? If the seed is God's word, then Jesus is acknowledging right up front that God is a God who speaks. The God of the Bible is a God who is constantly and continually speaking, right? In Genesis, it tells us that God spoke creation into existence by the word of his mouth, and he breathed life into humankind from his breath. He spoke to Abraham and called him to become the father of our faith, and he spoke to Moses and gave him the Ten Commandments and the Old Testament law, and he spoke to his people through the prophets, and he led his people to write and collect the scriptures as the written word of God. But even more than that, the Bible tells us God has supremely spoken to us in the person of Jesus Christ. The very beginning of the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. You see, God is not only a God who speaks, but God is a God who wants to speak to you. God wants to speak into your life today. 
Sometimes we can feel like God is distant and silent and we cannot hear his voice or sense his presence, but we can take heart because he has promised us that if we're willing to be patient and we're willing to do the work of tilling the soil of our own hearts and to examine what we most deeply want and what we most deeply desire and we're to seek those things from the God of the Bible, he will speak into your life and mine. And then if we allow the word that he speaks to take root and we take it to heart, Jesus says that it will lead us to experience a whole new level of fruitfulness and abundance in our relationship with God than we ever could have imagined. You see, in Jesus, the whole focus of the word of God has shifted from a message to a person. From seeking a life apart from God to experiencing the very life of God living inside us. That's why John chapter 1 also says in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. You see, in the Bible, what we see is Jesus himself is revealed as the living word of God who through the very presence and power of God's Holy Spirit becomes the love and the grace of God spoken to you and to me. He is God's word to you today. That was really Jesus' perspective as he prepared to go to the cross to give his life as a sacrifice and as a testimony of God's love for each of us. In John 12, 23, it says, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And that really leads us to the second takeaway from the parable, is that the role of disciples is not only to hear, but to hear and respond. By framing the parable of the sower around Isaiah 6, verse 9, which Jesus quotes in verse 10 of the parable saying, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving, Jesus focuses the intent of the parable on the responsibility of hearing and responding to the good news message of Jesus. Hearing alone is not enough. It is the response of faith to the hearing, Jesus says, that demonstrates our genuine understanding and acceptance of that word as a word to us. But if you know your biblical history, you know that God's people haven't always been the best listeners, have they? Many times and throughout the Bible, God had to challenge his people and call out their lack of faith and their seeming inability to both hear and respond to God's word to them. You may remember Jeremiah 5.21 where he says, Hear this, you foolish and senseless people who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. Or in Ezekiel 12.2, he says, Son of man, you are living among a rebellious people. They have eyes to see, but do not see, and ears to hear, but do not hear, for they are rebellious people. How easy is it for us as well to close our ears and to, to shield our eyes to, to the truth that God is wanting to speak into our lives, but to allow ourselves to continue to be distracted either by the things of the world or by our own worries and our fears and anxieties that we carry within us that cloud our judgment and prevent us from really accepting the truth that God has spoken, that God loves you and that God has saved you and that God is willing to work with you to bring healing and wholeness and redemption to your life and to 
into your marriage, into your family, into your relationships, into this church, into the community around us, if we will simply allow that word to take root within us so that it can begin to transform us from the inside out. Throughout the, Old Te- throughout the New Testament, we see repeated examples in Jesus' life and ministry of the hardness of heart of those who claim to know God and even to represent God, but are unwilling to be moved and motivated by the word of God that came to them in his greatest word, Jesus Christ. And so the parable of the sower is a challenge to the mistaken assumption that simply receiving the word, even with joy, is enough. To be a disciple in Jesus' kingdom means remaining focused on the message of the kingdom in such a way that our entire life becomes identified by the reality of this kingdom in our lives. Jesus is saying that the key to spiritual growth and maturity in God's kingdom is first and foremost the willingness to listen, but not just one time, but as an ongoing practice in the discipline of listening that also is a part of how we pray and how we engage God's Spirit in a relationship with an abiding God who wants to be with us day in and day out. That's really a part of what our 50-day challenge is all about. We're inviting ourselves to practice these different prayer practices which are designed to help us engage with God's Spirit and to connect with God so that the Word of God can be implanted in us. And we can begin to experience the life of God working out of those times of prayer and looking into his word in maybe some new ways. Our practice for this week, and if you haven't joined the 50-day challenge yet, you can always join. It won't be a full 50 days, but that's okay. It's really not about performance, right? It's about getting in on the experience. Our practice this week is going to be Lectio Divina, or divine reading which simply means that we use scripture as a prompt for engaging God in prayer. When we read or listen to a passage or a story in the Bible, we're invited to listen for a word or a phrase or an idea that that stands out to us, that captures us, and then we we reflect on that word and we allow the Spirit of God to, to begin to unfold what that word might mean for us or what word God has for us out of this passage. Then we go back and we listen to it or reread the passage again. And this time we listen further and we ask, God, how does this word or phrase connect to my life today? What is it that you want me to know about where you're wanting to work within me and the, and the growth that you're wanting me to experience because of what I'm hearing from you through your spirit? And then we come back and we listen to or we read the passage a third and final time. And this time we go even deeper in our listening. We say, okay, God, is there something that you're inviting me to do in response to the word you've given me? Is there something practical that you're asking me to to do or to implement or a person you're wanting me to connect with or or something you're asking me to, to pursue as a result of this word that we receive? And ultimately it invites us to give God the permission to lead us to a response. But then the challenge is, will we have the courage and strength to trust God to actually go and do the thing that God has invited us to do? We listen, we listen further, we listen again, and then we respond. And isn't that really what Jesus says is the description of the good soil, right? He said the seed on the good soil stands for those who hear the word, They retain it, and by persevering, they produce a good crop. They listen. They listen further. They listen deeper, and then they respond. 
And it's those who listen and respond in obedience to the word that God speaks that discover the truth that God's word is a word of blessing and fulfillment for their lives. And so it's in faith that we give ourselves to the hearing of God's word, trusting that he is a God who speaks and that he wants to speak into the realities of each one of our own lives. But when we do, we come to understand this good news message of Jesus and the kingdom of God is something that brings a potential for something completely new. At every age and at every stage of life, God has the ability to wake us up, to, to inspire us with something new, and to invite us into a new experience of his kingdom. I'm always blessed by the words of Isaiah 55, 10 through 11, where God said through Isaiah, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Brothers and sisters, do you understand that passages like this that invite us to use our imaginations to see the glory of God in the creation that he's made are really about his relationship with you and me? That he wants your life to bud and to flourish. He wants your experience of family and relationship and church to be fruitful and abundant and, and overflowing with the good things that God had planned when he created this world to begin with. And so the parable of the sower also functions as a promise about who God is, about what God is doing, and what God will do in you through his son, Jesus Christ, and in those who have received and follow his message. Which really brings us to the final takeaway, and I know we're short on time, so I'm going to get through this one quickly. Takeaway number three, the word of God leads us to the fulfillment of our heart's deepest desires. Helen Shapiro also said, the core desires of our lives can be safely hidden under a shell of conformity to the mores of our culture, our jobs, our family, or even our church. It is simpler to not rock the boat or just sit quietly and do as we're told. Why question long-held beliefs about life that allow us to survive in a challenging and a changing world? But she also goes on to say that when we begin to live out our deepest longings through the discovery of what God has planned for us in his word and to see how these desires that he places in us become attached to God's own desires for us, they power this joint longing of our relationship with God that fuels our following of Jesus. And so this longing for more than we have today, she says, can painfully can be painfully apparent in our current dissatisfaction with life, but it also can begin to appear as a deeper energy, as something beautiful, as an inexorable pull, more important than anything else inside us toward love, towards beauty, towards creativity, towards a future beyond our seemingly limited present. What do you want today? What are the deepest desires of your heart? What are the greatest longings that you're carrying with you day in and day out? Because what we discover is that ultimately the place where God's kingdom on earth exists and where it can be most readily seen and apparent 
is in your heart and in mine. And when we allow the living Word of God to take root and to take up residence in our hearts and in our lives, it is only the living Word of God that leads us to discover and experience the greatest fulfillment of the deepest desires that our hearts will ever know. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the life of Jesus, for his teaching, for these amazing parables and stories that he invites us to consider and to pray through and to allow to impact our own imaginations and our own hearts. In this week ahead, God, as we give ourselves to the prayer practice of divine reading and allowing your scripture to prompt us to connect with your Holy Spirit and to hear that word that you want to speak to each one of us, I pray that you give us the courage to not only listen, but to listen further and to listen deeper and then ultimately to ask for the strength and the courage through your spirit to respond in obedience. so that we can begin to experience the inspiration and the motivation to step out in new ways. Even though it might feel countercultural, or it might go against those that are looking at us from the outside and we might feel initially embarrassed or we might be afraid that people aren't going to accept us, God, give us the courage and the strength to respond to the word you give us so that we know that the kingdom of God within us can begin to produce the kind of fruit that multiplies and overwhelmingly shows that your love and your grace are the only thing that we desperately need and the very things that we can give to the world around us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.